Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode. Uh, today we're doing something a little different. Um, it's just me and Jesse today. Yeah, it, it, you know we're getting towards the end of the year. I think this episode comes out on Christmas Day. Um, and we realized that we haven't actually let you know who we are at all, other than our names. So we're going to do that a bit and talk about some highlights from the year. Yeah, so I guess I'll go first. Um, I've been DMing for a year and a half now, I think, maybe two years. Um, so started fairly recently and, uh, I started with the D and D fifth edition, the starter kit and, uh, ran that campaign for two groups at once, which was kind of crazy, but also super interesting because it showed me how two different parties will approach the exact same problem in wildly different ways. Um, and then once that finished, I, uh, did some star Wars, did some eclipse phase, and I am currently, uh, in the middle of, well, I don't, I have no idea if I'm in the middle or the first quarter or towards the end. I have no idea where we are, uh, running a homebrew campaign with uh, some of my friends and that's going excellent. And we just had a banging session on Sunday. That was so much fun. One of my players gave up his soul, gave up his soul or someone took his soul. He gave it to a witch so that he could get five fortunes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, hi, I'm uh, I'm Jesse. I've been playing playing D and D since I was seventeen. I'm twenty nine now, so it's been about what twelve years. Um, didn't start running till about I guess three and a half years ago. Um, I ran for about eight months. Oh my god, I'm saying I'm a lot. Uh, <laughs> I ran for about eight or nine months straight. Uh, it was a homebrew campaign. Uh, initially, I was running it with our our good friend, Aunt Ray, who has been a guest a couple of times. Um, we got a couple sessions in, and then I started, I just kind of took it over at Ray's suggestion. Ran those eight months, kind of burnt out at the end. Didn't DM for a long time, uh, actually, until october when i started dming again and right now i am a once month game or two sessions in and um my players are great they include my wife Haley, who's done our art uh isla collins who was on a previous episode who's great at the table and a couple of our other friends it's going really well right now i haven't done much running other than this and part the podcast is partially making, making me sit down and go Oh man, I really want to run again. I want to run more. <laughs> I need to run more, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's <clears throat> that's us. As as we say in the in the intro, we're fairly new to DMing, especially compared to some of the guests that we've had on who've been DMing for like two decades or more. Um, but we're enjoying it, and I have definitely been learning a lot doing this podcast and. I had to re-examine some of the things that I've done and some of the things that I've had planned and figured out better ways to do things. Oh yeah, same. I don't think I think I was an okay DM during my first run, but like 
sitting back and looking back at it, like I a wasn't in a good place to run. Like I like I said, I burnt out and I was I was in school and working as well. And like my players are, you know, for the most part, or my players at the time were all experienced DMs themselves, which also I think made it more stressful for me, even when they were like actually having a good time at the table. Um, but yeah, like talking to other people has like completely changed how I approached starting a game. And like I had a session zero and like I sat down, especially since these are people I hadn't really played with before, like allowed me to figure out, gave me the tools to sit down and be like, okay, what kind of game do you guys want? How can I run that game for you? What do you like absolutely not want to see in the game? And, you know, I think because we had done the episode on the session zero, I knew to like sit down with everybody and talk to them. And like, I'm able to run a game that they enjoy and that I enjoy because we, you know, talked to Ray about that and have talked to some other people like before or after recording about that as well. Yeah. I've, it's funny. I've, I've done a couple of games now and like, even with the starter kit, I tried to do like every game that I've run. So I've run two with the starter kit, one with star or two with star Wars, uh, one with Eclipse Phase, and then my homebrew with D&D. And in each one, I've tried to do a session zero. And I told everybody, like, hey, this is important so that I make I can make sure that I'm running the kind of game that you all want to be playing in. And it would fall apart. Like, nobody would show up or one person would show up. Or, yeah, it was... For some reason, I have not had any luck getting a session zero together. I mean, it depends on the people you're dealing with, too. Like, um, I know... For example, I know Matt Colville, who we both watch all, all of the stuff, I assume, doesn't really do session zeros because he doesn't find them necessary. And like, it depends who you're running for. You, you might not need to do it for some people, especially experienced players who are just like, yeah, I want to come in. I want to play. I know I want to play a fighter. I don't care if someone else is playing a fighter. It doesn't really matter because like, I'm also playing this character. But like, if you have a newer group or a group you're not used to running for, it's really useful. I didn't really need to do one with my previous group because like everyone was already telling me about their character ideas once they realized what I was running and what kind of world I was running. With the new group, since like they're all people that I know, but I don't know all of them super well, it was really nice to sit down and like figure out where they were at. Sure about some of their experience with previous DMs and what I could avoid and everything. Yeah. So Jesse, the yeah. podcast, what are your thoughts so far on all the episodes that we've released? Oh, I'm I'm really pleased with how it's going. Uh, I know we've had a couple of episodes that have like been a bit rocky, especially for you for editing some of them, just because of the length and we were, we're trying to keep stuff under a certain time, which I think at this point we've more or less given up on. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we, you know, it's, it's, I think that one of the best things about the show is we end up having an actual conversation with whoever we're talking to. And, you know, that tends to make episodes run longer than 30 to 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think our slow ahead. move, our slow move from uh, interview to conversation. Cause when we started off, it was a lot more like, here's a list of questions. We're going to ask you each question one at a time. And we'd send the questions to the, to the guest ahead of time so that they could do some preparation. And we've slowly moved to a more just conversational style of 
uh, it's still an interview because it's it's you and me talking to one person about a specific topic or a bunch of topics that live under the same umbrella. But I think the move to a much more conversational style has been has been good. Like there have been times when we were doing the interview style where it felt like we'd rocket through questions because uh, we didn't feel we had the freedom to really ask a ton of follow-up questions or interject with stories or asides or stuff like that. And I think this conversational style has been good for the quality of, of what we've been doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing how we uh, keep improving this thing as we go on. Yeah. Like when we first started uh, listeners, we decided that we would not like go into personal stories or examples from the table in detail and uh, we've kind of fallen away from that. And I think it actually helps. It's helped a lot to illustrate points for the most part. You know, not everybody's going to illustrate their point the best with a story, but like, I think it's worked out for us. I'm glad we kind of started being a bit more lax about that. Also, like, I think since, I guess it was the episode with Isla where we actually were like, well, we don't have a specific topic. Let's just kind of talk about running, like being an UDM. I think that's kind of that episode kind of marked a bit of a change in how we structure things. And I think that's worked out better for us. Yeah. That's still my favorite episode so far because we just had, it was so much fun to to record and, and talk to Isla and, and editing it was a breeze because there really wasn't much like dead space or weird bits to cut out or anything like that. It was, it was fun to record, fun to edit and it's fun to listen to. Yeah. And like it, for me, it's great too because you know we we had that episode with Isla and it was the first time I'd met her, but she was a mutual friend of ours, mine. And now I run a game for her and some of her players, and it's it's a good time. And like she's a great player. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed these. Um, oh, Sean. So what I find really rewarding about doing this show, and we haven't done that many episodes, and we're not not the hugest podcast, but like. When somebody listens to the show and like something clicks for them, they finally had that experience. Did I tell you about Craig? I do not think so. Okay, so uh, Craig Chapman, he was in our third episode. Great episode, actually, uh, talking about death in game. Uh, I like Craig a lot, and I think he's a really interesting DM and a really a really cool guy. Um, we put out the West Marches episode a while ago, and I got a text message from him, like I think halfway through the day, where he was like. So today I learned that I've been running a West Marches game for about two or three years and didn't realize I was running a West Marches game. So our episode helped him figure out a better way to structure the thing he was already doing. And now he's like, so I'm part of this West Marches group that he has on Facebook. I'm seeing it explode with like writing character journals, and getting more invested in it and like kind of making his single or his group of one shots grow and expand even more. And it was like, it felt really good to have my friend be like, Hey, yeah, like this episode taught me something that's really useful to me. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we can do even more stuff uh, that helps out because we, we kind of started this to like help out new DMS such as ourselves. But I think one of the things that makes a good DM a great DM is is realizing that like there's always ways that you can be improving your games, whether it's like small little tweaks like a character journal or 
thinking about how how death impacts your game or or how you deal with magic items like i just hope that we can keep finding interesting things to talk about that dms will find useful and help other dms and and myself i'm not gonna lie i'm kind of mostly in this for myself to make myself a good dm and so if we can keep finding stuff to talk about that will keep me interested and keep me learning new things i think i think the quality of this thing is just going to keep getting better yeah and like it's funny because most of our listeners that i hear from are also people who have been guests on the show at this point um because like we've been interviewing our friends or friends of friends and so you know we'll see things where they'll be like oh that's really interesting i wouldn't do it that way but that gives me an idea it's like that's the best i think one of the best parts like even if we're not teaching them anything new they're looking at a thing going i don't agree with that but that gives me this idea and that's that's been really great too yeah for sure so let's talk about D D, our our favorite hobby um, <laughs> so recently uh xanathar's guide to everything came out and we've both picked up a copy and I think we're both curious to see what, what each other thinks about it. So why don't, why don't you go first? Uh, I, I like it a lot. I, I wish there were more feats, which is always, I feel like probably always going to be my like criticism or complaint about fifth edition is that there aren't enough offbeat options. But like overall, I really like the book. I like most of the classes. I really, really like the minor magic items and the guide for like how many you should be giving per like kind of, section of the game and stuff like that and like that they have a list that specifies what would be a major magic item or and all that kind of stuff as far as the flavor stuff i'm i've never been super into a lot of the flavor stuff in D D. so like i know one of my friends was kind of criticizing like the characterization of xanathar and i was like i don't really care <laughs> but like I, I like it for the i like the book for the most part, I think a lot of the spells are cool. I like that there's new rules for traps and more specific stuff. Um, what do you think, Sean? Uh, I'm the traps. I think is awesome. I've 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 skimmed over it a few times, and it looks pretty great. All the new spells I'm really enjoying, especially since uh, they now have enough new spells that Gale Force Nine has put out another deck of cards. Because they've had um, some new spells in some of the other books, but this is, they finally have enough new ones that the Gale Force 9 is like, we can do another deck of cards for you, which is nice because I use uh, like Kobold Fight Club to put uh, to put fights and stuff together. And if I pull a monster out of like Volo's Guide to Monsters or uh, Storm Coast Adventures Guide and it uses spells from that book. I have to copy it out and then try not to lose it. And having just a, another deck of cards that I can throw in my box with all, cause I've got all of the Gale force nine spell cards because I find them ridiculously helpful. Um, so I think I'm personally pretty happy about that. Sorry, is the new deck just like Xanathar's guide spells or like what's that deck called? Uh, well, my understanding is that um, Xanathar's guide has spells from, like the the new spells that showed up in, I want to say the Storm Coast Adventurers Guide um, are also in Xanathar's Guide. Okay. So there's a new deck that's titled like Xanathar's uh, Guide to Everything, and it's all the spells from from that book. Oh, um, But it includes spells from some of the other books that came out uh, after 
the fifth edition was initially released. So I've already pre-ordered that. So I'm looking forward to, to, to that arriving. Okay. So it's not out yet. Okay. Or it is out I'm not, now, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I just know that I, I paid monies for a thing and it'll arrive eventually. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, I'll, I'll have to pick that up too. Yeah. I like the fact that there are more in-depth, I don't want to call them rules. It's a more in-depth guide for creating characters, like the background and life story stuff that they've got in there. Because I found with the player, I haven't encountered a wide variety of players but one of the things that i've run into is that some players are like just itching at the bit to go off and write two or three pages of backstory and come back and work with the dm to incorporate that backstory into the world and the other players and then there are players who come to the table and their backstory is my village was destroyed. Now I'm here. And I like the fact that the Xanathar's Guide to Everything has this, this like all this stuff in it so that you can kind of put it in front of a player and be like, I need a little bit more to work with than destroyed village. So just roll up a few things or just choose a few things that you like and come back to me with a slightly more fleshed out backstory. Um, I'm really looking forward to being able to use that for because I've got a couple of players who have come to me with backstories that, while functional, are very sparse. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm one of those players who tends to come with a sparse backstory. Though that said, I haven't played a, a game in a while where it's like a regularly weekly game where I'm like really invested in my character's growth. I'm more there to like decide what my personality is and kind of go from there. Which I think is like I think is acceptable, obviously, because that's what I do when I play uh, a lot of the time, anyway. But I, I like that those options are in there, especially for like newer players who are just not sure what to do. Because I find when you roll on a table, if you get a uh, you know if you get an option you like, right? If you get an option you don't like, people like presented with it and being like, well, this is the thing that they're like, wait, no, no, that's stupid. This is what this is. I think that's really helpful that way. Yeah, for sure. And as far as the rest of the book goes, um, I've taken a look at the the items and stuff, and I like them. It's just I've been spending a lot of time since I started DMing on places like Reddit and a couple of other sites. And the selection in Xanathar's Guide to Everything seems uh, small compared to some of the stuff that I've seen online. So I'm not as excited about that. But I still think that great that they've got something for an official thing for DMs who want to give out a magic item, but not have it be a super powerful magic item or even like a plus one sword or anything. It's just, yeah, here's a wand that makes people smart. <laughs> and see, like, I, I know all those things exist, but I'm always worried about balance and stuff when I go on Reddit because some, like there are people out there who are amazing at figuring that stuff out. And often, especially in games I run, it doesn't, really matter but like I, I i like having the official book with ideas and then i can look at those well actually this or i'm going to do this or this instead another thing i really like about the book kind of relating to the backstory builder thing is they have that for the classes as well yeah yeah that's pretty great as well i also like and i've seen people talk talking kind of shit about it 
but I, I like the several pages of uh, name tables at the back. I thought that it's when I saw that I laughed. At, I actually laughed out loud because I created one of those for myself for my game. So it's not super useful for me because I've already got one that like the races and the, the races all have names that fit the the society that those races tend to form and stuff like that. So, but I think it's pretty great that they do have one because the, uh, the, the random name table that was uh, that's in the, the DM screen, like the first one that came out when they launched fifth edition is small and often came up with very strange names. Yeah. I, I don't like the DM screen that came out with fifth edition. Um, I have it. I uh, rarely use any of the information. On that. Yeah. Same here. I've, I, I, I actually went out and bought a DM screen that just has like, it's you can put your own sheets in because I found the, the official one uh, that first came out. I used maybe one and a half of the panels or maybe like a half one panel because most of the information was badly laid out and not what I needed. So you used the status effects panel basically, basically. And the ones that came out after that were all specific to the modules that were coming out because they'd have information about that module so that you didn't have to flip through the book for the stuff that would come up super often. And apparently they've done a, remaster i think it's called the dm 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 screen remastered i think is what it's called and i'm really curious but i haven't been able to find any pictures that let me do a side-by-side comparison because it's it's wizards of the coast they tend to be pretty cease and desisty about that kind of stuff but i'm not dropping 20 bucks for another dm screen when i've already got one that works fine yeah i've seen that in stores and like that's the the worst thing for me is like, it doesn't even have a picture of what's in it on the back of the product. I can't even look at it and go, Oh, I see they've got this table and this table and this table. Oh, this is useful. So now I will never probably buy it until I can find, I'm sure somebody's put pictures of it up at some point. Yeah. All, all they needed to do was put on the back a bullet point list of what the table or of what the screen has on it, because that would let me decide if I want to drop the $20 for it. Exactly. I'm I'm not going to buy it sight unseen and I haven't been able to find any good pictures. But uh some other new stuff that's come out. Have you so the Tomb of Annihilation came out recently? Yes. And did you buy the um uh what was that book the the module book that they came out that was basically a bunch of like first, second and third like the classic Tales dungeons? From the yeah, Tales from the Unning Portal. I am playing a monthly campaign where we play through that. It is very dungeon crawly so far. Yeah, but the last one in there is the Tomb of Horrors. Yes. And I flipped through the Tomb of Annihilation, and from what I can tell, it looks like they took Tomb of Horrors and widened it out into a more fully realized campaign. Am I mistaken? Is there something else going on, or is it just they just used a lot of the same imagery? They've used a lot of the same imagery, and it's not the first time they've done that with the adventures in Tales from the Yawning Portal. Um, There's a a module in it called uh, Against the Giants, I believe, and that's like Storm King's Thunder is heavily based on that. Um, So Tales of the Yawning Portal is literally just like pre-converted previous edition adventures. Um, from, I guess, the original game through to probably 3.5, probably not 4th edition. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, these a lot of uh, actually apparently a lot of the modules that are coming out are kind of like old adventures that already existed, like fleshed out and made into bigger, more open world things. Like uh, Chris's Strahd is also a very old adventure that they. Yeah, that's that's actually my understanding is that all of the modules that have come out for fifth edition are based on their it's like their greatest hits taken and reworked for fifth edition and turned into full campaigns. Because yeah, Curse of Strahd, Princes of the Apocalypse is the Temple of Elemental Evil uh reworked and turned into a bigger, more full-scale campaign. Yeah, like all the modules are old modules reworked and expanded for fifth edition. I was just kind of super confused that like uh, tales from the yawning portal still feels somewhat new to me. And so to see tomb of annihilation just felt kind of weird. Yeah. uh, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel like I don't play any of the big modules for the most part. I'm, I'm playing tales of the yawning portal because a, um, a friend's older brother asked us if we wanted to play and we didn't have an ongoing game and it sounded like a good time and, you know, we're playing with friends. So we're having fun with it. But it's also like it's essentially a series of adventures that he that our DM is connecting for us, like making connections for us. They're not for the most part coming out of the book. So yeah, it's kind of a weird choice. I'm not sure how I feel about them, like just readapting old stuff. I, I always feel like I want people to build more like actually new stuff. But I like at this point, how many thousands of adventures are there for D and D between official content? And stuff other people have written over the years. I don't know if that's. Uh, I think that might be easier said than done at this point. I, I I think the idea of taking older stuff and reworking it into modules for fifth edition is a good idea because it lets them take some of their you know their like I said their greatest hits and introduce a new generation of people to it. I guess my thing was just like it felt weird seeing Tomb of Horrors in Yawning Portal and then Tomb of Annihilation, which is what they've been doing. It's just both of them are so recent that the connection is much easier to make. And it just felt a little weird. Yeah, there's like a, only like six months between those books. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my thing is more, I wish that they weren't doing that with every single book they bring out. But uh, I guess on the other hand, like we have DMs guild where you know, a bunch of different people are posting like modules and stuff that you can grab. Yeah. And there, there's, yeah, there's lots of good stuff on, on DMs guild. I've picked up a couple of things and I've been, I've been eyeing the Matt Mercer's Taldore campaign setting guide, oh, yeah. mostly because I just want to like you know go through it and and pick through for for ideas for my own homebrew campaign. But it's kind of the thing with buying any piece of of like whether it's DM's Guild or like buying a physical book, buying something just to pick ideas out of it and not actually use the thing. Part of it feels like I'm wasting my money if I'm not buying the thing to use the thing as intended. I mean, that's fair, I guess. But like, I mean, I, I'm i doing that too sometimes. I don't know. I think that's fine. It just depends. It's one thing if you're spending lots and lots of money on it, which is like why I don't have a copy of Sword Coast Adventures yet at this point. Uh, I want to get it now because setting information is useful even if I'm not using it and it has class stuff in it and backgrounds and all that but like i think that's a perfectly acceptable way to spend your money if that's how you want to spend it yeah i guess the thing is is that if i buy a book like because i've i've eyed storm king's thunder and tomb of annihilation and it looks like i guess the thing is is that it looks like there might be some things that i could use 
But if I don't end up using any of it, then I've kind of wasted my money. Yeah, I mean, as far as the actual adventures, I would only buy them if I was intending on running them. I might buy a copy of Tales of the Yawning Portal, though I wouldn't do that to my DM because I think it would suck for him if I had some existing knowledge of the dungeons ahead of time. But like, I might buy that because you can even just take the dungeons for for them and run them in a different context or just use the map or whatever. But yeah. like, I don't think I would buy Storm King Thunder unless I was planning on running Storm. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of the stuff on the DMs Guild is like $6 and like, you know, it's usually smaller and more specific and you might be able to fit it better into a game. Like, for I mean, for example, the, the game I'm running, I'm starting off with these three modules and then once they complete that, I'm launching into Homebrew, uh, probably, depending on what they want to do. So, like, I, I think if you want to spend the money and you think you're going to use aspects of that book, or even if you're just interested in reading it, right? Like, I think some DMs kind of fall into the trap of, well, I have to use it, but like, just reading the book is also using it. Yeah, I think that's enough about official content. Let's move on to uh, the the wider world of D and D. All right. So you were saying uh, before we started recording that you've recently, or at least this year discovered uh, Matt Colville and been, have been watching a bunch of his videos. Uh, I'm really curious to hear what you think. I mean, I love Matt Colville stuff. He's super interesting. I, I don't always agree with some of his like running philosophy, but I think that's fine. I think different DMs are going to have different ways of running things. And I, I think he would be the first to say that like, Whatever is correct for you is what's correct, right? But like, I find him super interesting and super useful to listen to. Um, I think uh, I think I heard in one of his videos like the idea of in, like using flanking, but like going back to the plus two thing instead of advantage because the plus two gives your players an advantage but doesn't create a like thing where like they're going to hit every time more or less because advantage increases the percentage so much. I just I think his stuff is really useful, and I think I think any DM would find his content useful. Yeah, and I've I've been watching his stuff for for a while, and I think I've been watching his videos for two years. I, I discovered him shortly after I started running the starter kit, and so I've been watching his videos off and on. And yeah, for, for the most part, like I I agree with most of the stuff that he says, and. Yeah, the, the few times that I disagree, like you said, you said it yourself, like he'd be the first person to tell you that what works for you is what works for you. Like you don't have to do something just because somebody with a lot of followers on YouTube said that that's how they do it. I somewhat recently finished the first arc campaign, whatever you want to call it, for Adventure Zone. And oh, yeah, the balance arc. Yeah, the balance arc campaign thing. It's weird because they had like arcs inside of the balance arc i mean yeah it's, terminology the, the terminology is the terminology is completely based on the fact that like they finished the story and like i don't think they were initially sure if the adventure zone was going to continue to be a thing afterwards or that that story was going to end but the way the show kind of evolved that's what happened so it's um i guess it would be the the camp a campaign right they finished the campaign now they're doing another one yeah, I got pretty emotional listening to the the end of the Adventure Zone. I love that show a lot, and it's partially uh, one of the other things that got me uh, changing the way I look at DMing too. Yeah, I I've I've really enjoyed the show. I, I have to say though that while the show was very moving at times, and it's a very 
at sometimes it's a much more well-told story than at other times. I do have an issue with the, the way that it's slowly over time. And I know that this is a relic of like, a, uh, the fact is, is that they started as kind of a let's play, you know, the, the bunch of people just playing D and D and recording it. And they slowly over time would ignore rules or do things differently because that's how things kind of have to work when you have four people recording in three locations. And I don't have a problem with any of that. I guess the problem that I, I kind of have with Adventure Zone is how it started as a Let's Play and slowly turned into a radio drama. Okay. The fact, the, the, the reason why I feel that way is because it felt like in order to make things more entertaining, Griffin felt like he had to do a lot more expository dialogue, either a character talking for a long time or a couple of characters or him describing what's going on. And I totally understand that that's just kind of how it came out in the edits, because my understanding is that they record for like three hours and he'd condense a lot of it by just taking, you know, a half hour and condensing it into, you know, a five minute him talking about the end result of all of the stuff that they had talked about. But I sometimes had an issue with the, like it was most prevalent in the last few episodes where I was enjoying the story, but there was always just a little bit of a low level annoyance that it felt like most of the last few episodes was Griffin talking. And I mean, I can see that for sure as a criticism, but like, honestly, I, I think the adventures home largely works because it became more like a radio drama in several aspects, because honestly, like if it was just, well, I mean, me and you have talked about this before. Like a lot of let's plays are not very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I don't, think that's entirely just based on who's playing it i do think that like it's a matter of production and stuff like that and when it's a show and it has a finale there needs to be a certain structure to it and since it's not uh, a video like uh, i can't talk about critical critical role very well because i haven't watched it but like you know that it's a bit of a different case when you're seeing all the people sitting around the table doing it but like i i think i don't think the show would have worked if you didn't start doing stuff like that in the long run, especially as like a contained arc. My, my, my problem isn't so much the fact that it became a radio drama. My problem is the fact that it became a radio drama where Griffin had the majority of the lines. I would have been much more happy had the, had it been, it, it, I guess what I'm saying is that the last two episodes, especially it felt like you'd go for 10 or 15 minutes without hearing anybody except for Griffin. And I totally understand the reason because there's like a lot going on that he has to, like he probably recorded those bits over and over and over again to make sure that he got the narrative of what he was trying to say right. But if I'm listening to a radio drama, then it should be, the line should be shared equally among everybody. Like there should be not as much narration, a lot more talking. And and maybe this is just how it came out because of the way they record or whatever. But it just, I guess part of me just felt a little bit annoyed that it, like the way the edit came out, it felt like Griffin was hogging the spotlight a little bit. Uh, I mean, I don't agree, but that's fine. I like, I, I think that's just boils down to a matter of taste, honestly. And like, yeah, I, I think it's just the way he approaches storytelling kind of required, especially for finishing a thing kind of required that. And also like, you have to remember that he's, like the McElroys are really involved with their fan base. So like he knows 
he knew going in the beats that some fans wanted to see hit and stuff like that. And you know, he was also trying to satisfy the fans because the show's for them. I mean, it's also for him and everything like that. But like, ultimately, if he wanted to go over, he had to go over stuff that was going on everywhere. And like, because it's a show, right? It's not the the only other way to do it would have been for him getting a bunch of people in to voice all the other characters to try and like decrease the thing where it's just him talking all the time. And I like, I think that would have been really weird. I no, I'm not saying that he should have gotten pe- other people in to record. I'm saying that no, no, I I know that. I'm I'm just saying that that's kind of like that's the only way I could have seen him fixing the problem where it does feel like he's talking for long time yeah i guess i guess part of it is that it felt like that like and i totally agree and understand that like there's stuff that he was trying to do story beats that he wanted to hit so that the fans would be happy with the way things ended i guess it just felt like he was the only one with the script and because of that maybe a lot of dialogue from the other three was left on the cutting room floor Uh, i mean from from my understanding of what they record or how they record i don't think a lot of their dialogue was cut because a lot of a lot of the narration was hap- was stuff that was happening where the players weren't. Yeah. Anyways, enough about the wider world of D anD. d Let's talk about the games <laughs> we're running. Um, yeah, sure. Um, and I guess the other sorry, the other quick kind of thing in the wider world of D anD. d is that Critical Role also had a finale. I don't listen to it because I. Just don't really have a way that's convenient for me to listen to that much content. Yeah, I had to stop watching Critical Role because I, there's when I had a job where it wasn't as intense, I could watch Critical Role while I was working. But four hours of video D and D content is too much to take in, and there's so much that happens in an episode that trying to watch an episode piecemeal is almost worse than not watching it. Yeah, like. I think at this point, I mean, I guess I could start getting into the, like, newer stuff, like, once they start putting out, like, a ongoing show again. But, like, for me, like, the only way I think at this point I could listen to it or watch it is if somebody did, like, went through it all with a machete, hacked out a lot of the the stuff that's not important for the story. And I feel like, from what I've heard, anyway, at that point, you're losing some of the charm of the show. Like, I I don't think I'm ever going to get around to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Let, let's tell me about your game. Right. So the game that I'm running right now is a homebrew thing based on a germ of an idea that I had way back in high school and has been slowly building in my subconscious until fifth edition came out. And I said, screw it. I'll do the thing. Built a whole world, you know, which looking back might have been a little bit of a mistake and, you know, dove deep down into the rabbit hole of creating backstory and content for this world, which on the one hand was a lot of effort that I put into this world that the players are most likely never, ever going to see. But one of the things that I've realized now is that having come up with all of that content, it is very easy for me to be able to come up with stuff on the fly that fits, or at least sounds like it fits within the world that I've created. It's one of the things I noticed that when I was running the uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire campaign that I did is that um, because I'm such a huge Star Wars nerd, I was able to just improv on the fly. Like there, most of the campaign that I did, I did 
little to no prep for every single session, but because I knew the world, the universe of Star Wars so well, I was able to just improv and come up with stuff and have locations and names and plots that kind of fit within Star Wars. And having come up with all this backstory for my world, I've been able to do that. That all said, I did spend a couple of hours uh, prepping for the session that we had last Sunday, which was a doozy of a session um, because basically the players have been tasked with finding uh, four different reagents to make a potion because there's a plague happening in the biggest city on the continent and they've got to help deal with it. So they've been sent off to find these monster bits basically to make a potion. And one of the things that they need is the the blood of a red hag. Uh, I pulled the red hag out of the kobold's Tome of Beasts, and um, they basically went into this province that's a giant petrified swamp and spent the session before tracking it down. And the session last Sunday was uh, going into the layer, the the layer of the coven and dealing with each witch in turn. And the first one was a green witch and messed with their heads. Um, They basically all got separated as soon as they entered into the lair. And uh, I had come up with 12 rooms and one of the rooms had a secret exit. And whenever they uh, left through a doorway, I rolled a D 12 and that determined what room they ended up in. And, uh, when they were first separated, the witch came to each of them and said, like, hey, uh, I know what you're trying to do. Um, I will let you pass if you let me tell your fortune. And to let me tell your fortune, I need a token. So it was basically they could say no or they could give the witch um, a magic item. Or I had a bunch of things like stuff like your last breath and a moment of a, a moment of your time, some future excitement. Uh, and a whole bunch, I think I came up with 15 different things and all the way up until uh, your soul. And based on what they were giving up, they got a certain number of fortunes from one to five. The only one that had five was the your soul. And each of the, those things I had written out on cards and on the back was the mechanical consequence of giving the witch that token. So the uh, if they gave the witch their last breath, they now only got two death saving throws instead of three. If they, if they gave up future excitement, their next 10 uh, natural 20s for attack rolls in combat are not crits. Um, the last one, uh, the soul, the, when one of my players actually did this, he gave the witch his soul, and I'm brimming with ideas on how to work this into the campaign. He can no longer be resurrected. That character just okay. can't be resurrected. So... I made some of them a little harsh, but I balanced it against the players did not have to do this. Like they, and one of the players just, as soon as the witch appeared behind them, um, her ranger turned around and shot the witch in the face. And it was a, an illusion. And so the illusion just dissipated, but she said no and shot the witch in the face and none of the players had to give her anything. And so they all chose to give her something and, one of my players used this as an opportunity to get rid of a bunch of magic items that he never uses, but I felt okay, you know, having some slightly harsh things because they chose to get it and they got fortunes as well. So they got like hints and tips about stuff coming up 
from now until like I've got a bit of a storyline mapped out. Not so much a line as a story web, but I've given them hints about bits and pieces of that web. So they're somewhat forewarned and some of them have lighter pockets, but I'm pretty happy with how that went. And um, then they went and fought the, the, the second hag, which was an Anis hag from Volo's Guide to Monsters. And yeah. they nearly all died, um, but managed to pull through. And then we ended the session after they fought a, uh, a corpse mound, also from the Tomb of Beasts, on the, the last level of the the layer um, before. And we ended the session before they had faced off against the Red Hag. And so I've got plans on how to rework that so that this team of five nearly dead heroes, one without a soul, how they'll be able to make it through. Even if I've got all sorts of plans and stuff on how this, how this might play out, but that is how it ultimately plays out is up to my players. And we're probably going to find out uh, new year's Eve. Cause we're probably going to be getting together then to, to play. Oh, excellent. I'm, I'm jealous. I don't think my, my next game is not till six time I'm running. Um, I guess I'll I'll talk a bit about my campaign. Um, the first like uh, that fortune thing sounds really cool. <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned before, I'm I'm running from a module. Uh, it's called Bleeding Gate by um, name's not Crook. Um, I met her met her down at Rose City Comic Con. She actually ran the first couple parts of it for me, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna try running running this. Um, partially because I had never run from a module before and I wanted to see how it is. And uh, for the most part, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, however, there's there's been some delay on a bunch of DMs Guild content. Not sure exactly why uh, or if it's like just a problem with the content matching up or like because I know a bunch of books have come out. So they might have been focusing on the um, what are the elite DMs Guild people called? I'm blanking Adepts, DMs Guild Adepts. And maybe focusing on that content. So um, the third part of her adventure hasn't come out, which I've talked to her about, and she finds very frustrating. But hopefully, hopefully it'll be out soon. So I ran the first session, and we got through the first part of the module. Players liked it a lot, had a lot of fun with it. And then since the third part didn't come out before my second session, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to make content because I don't want to get to the end of the second part and like leave it hanging and then have to install new content there. So uh, my second session was all original content. It was uh, very linear, actually. Uh, basically like, oh, there are undead in this town. The villain has been using undead. Maybe it's him. We're going to go investigate. So they went through, and I used it as an opportunity to kind of seed in, or not seed in, to introduce the like villainous organization. That's going to be kind of the focus of the game I'm running for. They had a lot of fun for the most part. There were three combats. One when they absolutely breezed through. Um, the second one took a bit longer, and the third one ended up being a bit of a slog. So I, I looking at that, and i got to think more about how big I make my encounters. Um, so that was also partially because they kind of stayed in a corner of the map. So it was this weird... It ended up being like a weirdly structured combat. My players are mostly casters, too. Like, I have a barbarian, and then I've got a wizard, a bard, a homebrew witch and a warlock. <laughs> um, so that was the other thing. By the third encounter, I expected them to have more spells and they had already burned quite a few. So luckily, I'm house ruling short rests, so they're shorter, 
because an hour just feels so long to me. And like I, I was introduced to D and D fourth ed, which had five minute short rests <laughs> instead of hour long ones. Uh, then it was at least helpful because the warlock at least had all of their spells back, so they were a bit more kind of beefed up for the fight. I did something I was really pleased with. The the kind of boss of this little mini arc they got all the way through in the one session because we have fairly long sessions is a half dra- or was a half dragon, and I've like kind of customized them a bit for my setting, so. They still basically work the same way they do, but they're also able to temporarily put elemental enchantments on their own weapons. So if you're you're fighting a white dragon, he's able to make his sword or spear or whatever he's fighting with do cold damage instead of piercing damage. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, it ended up being like good flavor wise and interesting, and like the players were wondering what's going on and all that kind of stuff. So that was great. I also had a prop because I was running this cult. I had a hood that was the cultist's hood and kind of surprised my players with it when I like took it on my bag and put it on. Um, they seem to enjoy it a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, so next session I'm hoping to get back into the module and hopefully part three will be out. Uh, and if not, at that point, I'm going to have to just make up what happens next, <laughs> which is fine. We, we play once a month, so I have a lot of time to prep if I need to. But yeah, other than that, I'm playing in a game of Tales from the Yawning Portal. We're, we're also two sessions in. Um, it's very, we're starting at level one, and it's very dungeon crawl at E, so like, and very deadly. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, last session, we literally went through, I think, three rooms of the dungeon, maybe five. Which is partially because we have some newer players who are a bit more like, uh, who are honestly sometimes the best kind of players who are just like, yeah, I go into the thing. I look at that thing. I set off that trap. <laughs> it's It's been fun. It's been a bit chaotic, and I'm I'm playing Cleric, who is thankfully really built for healing and, stop it and preventing people from dying. So nobody's died yet. <laughs> so hopefully we manage to keep it that way. But I'm having a good time in both of my games, and I'm... I'm I'm hoping eventually I can get another like maybe every other week game going at some point, but that's not really an option. Yeah, I I'd like to get another game going. Maybe not D and D, but Tales from the Loop or the second edition of Eclipse Phase when I finally get the Kickstarter uh, for that. But yeah, time time is a limited resource. Yeah, no, Tales from the Loop. That's the one that's kind of like a Stranger Things kind of paranormal. Yeah. It's- teen kid adventure thing right yeah it's a, it's a pretty cool little system it's got two can uh two of the things that are bacon baked into the system that i i really like um the first one is that the kids that you're playing as never die um there is no way mechanically for them to die they might suffer uh an injury whether it's it's mental or physical that means that they just can't continue like they've got a broken leg so they've got to stay at home and heal or they're just they they have to deal with like a psychological horror that they have to go to therapy and they can't go on adventures with their friends or something but they never die which i think is is a a good rule to have in a game about you know a stranger things style uh game where you're dealing with strange robots or creatures from another dimension um the other one is that the player characters are all between uh, a certain age range i think it's 
I want to say it's nine to 12 or eight to 12 or something like that. And the way it works is that the, the youngest age gets, um, I think it's like five moxie points, which lets them do some special things. And then the next stage, the, the, so there's only five different ages that the characters can be. So the youngest gets five moxie points. The oldest gets none. But the oldest characters, if you have an older character, you have better stats. So you are more likely to be able to succeed when you need to, you know, shove open a door or run and jump across a chasm or fend off a, a strange robot. Whereas a younger character can use their moxie to, to get lucky kind of. And I think that's uh, those two things together, I think are really cool. And I really love to, to run a game of that or fate or eclipse phase again. Yeah. That game sounds really cool, actually. It's, it's, it's kind of like part of the problem, which is not much of a problem, but there are so many good, so many cool and interesting games. So just not enough time to play them all. Yeah. Especially if, you know, work full time and have busy lives on the weekends. Yeah. Between Eclipse Phase and Tales from the Loop and Fate and D&D and Star Wars and Pugmire, I could be running a whole bunch of full time games, but DMing would have to be my my day job in order to pull that off. Man, that would be a great day job. It would be. I would love to have that as my day job. But uh, this is... Speaking Sorry, speaking of weekend activities, uh, why don't we talk about some that uh, we have coming up? That was an excellent segue and much better than mine. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we'll just do this uh, pretty quick before we wrap up because this has been... We've been recording for an hour and... I don't know if there's going to be a lot we can cut out of this one. So uh, the first one uh, that's coming up pretty soon, actually, is uh, OrcaCon 2018. It's the second weekend of, of January, the 12th to the 14th. And we're both heading down to Seattle for that. And I am excited. I don't get to go to enough conventions, I feel. And so I'm really excited to go to this one. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I do get to go to some conventions because my wife uh, is an illustrator and a cartoonist. Um, in our spare time, so she tables it sometimes, so I get to go and wander around while she works. Um, unfortunately, at ArcaCon, we're not tabling because we found out about it too late to do that, but uh, we're going to walk around and hopefully meet some folks, maybe find some new people to interview. Yeah. yeah. We can't go for the whole time, but can't really afford even more days off. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you looked into like what's going on at all? there like anything you want to look into doing no i was going to do that in january there is too much going on this month for me to worry about before i start thinking about that convention yeah it's fair it's the holidays and work and all of that but there, there's some interesting guests that i would be really excited to talk to and I, I think it's going to be a good time and also we don't get to like hang out for extended periods of time when we're not working on the podcast very often yeah that is very true we're going to be doing that then do you want to talk about and I think you should talk about this more because you're a bit more on top of what we're doing for this. <laughs> but uh, Terminal City Tabletop Convention. Yes. Here, here Terminal City Tabletop Convention, the Lower Mainland's uh, local tabletop convention. Um, I've been the last few years, and it's been held at a community center near Metrotown the last few years. But this year, they've gotten uh, they've gotten their mitts on the Croatian Culture Center. So it's going to be a much larger venue. And... Um, 
as part of that, they're going to have an entire room dedicated to RPGs, uh, tables of running games of RPGs. And what, uh, what I'm trying to throw together is to have a DMs of Vancouver Terminal City mini campaign running. And we've got a, a couple of people who have been on the show interested, uh, Ray and other names that are escaping me because it is 11 o'clock at night. And uh, Joe uh, Jarrett, who is, his episode hasn't come out when this one will, but it's coming out soon. There's a third one, but I am also blanking on it. Yeah. But we've got a couple of, of uh, previous guests. Oh, it's me. It's me. That's, that's, that's why I'm confused. It's literally me. Yeah. So we've got five, four people, five. Uh, we've got a bunch of people, and we might be hearing from some more soon. But uh, we're going to be putting together – the goal is to put together a, a mini convention campaign. So have a bunch of – we've still got a lot like planning and stuff to figure out. But have a, con, uh, a game running throughout the convention – but also use it to do, uh, we're hoping to do some some fundraising. Um, DMs of Vancouver, raising some money for most likely the, the BC Children's Hospital Foundation, who are a, a great uh, local charity that uh, I recently raised some money for through Extra Life. And, um, yeah, and uh, it helps. <laughs> you did, yes. And uh, we all nearly went mad doing it. But um, this will hopefully be... I had... A good time for the most part. Yeah. But yes, I do agree. We all kind of went mad towards the end. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that the Terminal City Tabletop Convention is uh, March 24th and 25th. And uh, so, yeah, we're in some capacity, the DMs of Vancouver and friends will be there uh, running games, whether it's uh, a convention long campaign or just uh, mini adventures to, to that we run to get people new to D and D into the hobby or whatever it is that we end up doing. Um, we're going to be there running games, hopefully raising some money for charity. Yeah. Yeah. I am super excited about that because I've never, the only time that I've been in a, uh, had anything to do with a D and D game at a convention was, uh, when D and D fifth edition was still D and D next and they were play testing it at PAX. I, uh, you, yeah. Uh, I, I was in a game with you and Jason and Ray and I think one other person. We uh, we did the play test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've actually played a bunch at conventions over the years. Well, a bunch. I've played like maybe a half dozen times at various PAXs and at Rose City and again Emerald City one time. Anyway, yeah, it, it's really fun to play at conventions. I'm slightly terrified of the aspect of running for complete strangers but you know i'll get over it once we actually do it yeah i've i actually ran at a previous terminal city i did um i tried to do the starter uh the starter kit the uh the very first part of it where you're on the road and you run into some goblins and that is not a campaign meant to be run at uh, at conventions i would have been much better off doing the the adventure league stuff but anyways, I've, I've run once at a, at a convention and running for people is for strangers is, yeah, it, it's a little scary at first, but um, whether they're brand new, like some of them were, or experienced veterans, it's a lot of fun to play with new people because everybody plays differently and it's always fun to see how other people do things. So yeah, that's, that's another thing we have going on in the new year. Uh, there, there's actually thing i wanted to quickly talk about before we said goodbye what's that um i know we had another couple things on the list that i don't think we're gonna get time to get to but uh i would like to 
kind of give a shout out and a thank you to the folks at uh, the Zero D Twenty Fracturia podcast. We've had at this point three of them as guests on our episodes, uh, and they actually uh, back at Shucks, they invited me to be on a panel with them where we played live in front of people, which was only a little bit terrifying. <laughs> um, but I, I think I did a, a decent job. Um, they're they're great folks. I I like their show a lot. It's an actual play podcast. You know, worth checking out if you have some extra time and want to listen to many, many episodes of people playing D&D. Yeah. So to wrap up, um, we're not sure if we're going to do a whole bunch of these just uh, Jesse and I type things. Um, if uh, if we run into a, a dry spell when it comes to guests, we might do something like this again to fill in or we might do it as a a quarterly thing to to check back in with all of our listeners or if you all complain a whole bunch on our facebook or on our twitter uh we will never do this again but uh, <laughs> let, let us uh, i think i think if we do it again there'll be a bit more focus like we'll talk about specific things that have come out in the past couple of months and we'll probably record them like within a couple of weeks of us releasing them instead of what we usually do for our episodes which is or what we've done in the past for our episodes which is like record sometimes months ahead yeah well this 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 podcast is still growing and evolving and we will see what happens yeah well and maybe we'll structure these episodes more like the episode we did with isla where we get a friend to come in and like talk to us about like kind of general things but maybe not as specific interview structure yeah we'll figure something out yeah all right folks um thank you so much for listening um, and thank you for people who've been listening to our show. We really appreciate it. Uh, we, we like hearing from you people. And when you talk to us on Twitter and all of that, let's do, let's do credits. We're going to do them live this time. Okay. Um, oh yeah. We're going to, we're going to start doing that. Um, well, it's going to be kind of weird because we do these ones live and then they're going to go back to not being live for the next few episodes after. Yeah. And then we're going to start doing them live again. Anyway. Um, thanks to, uh, Haley Boros, who does our art. Uh, is it Kevin McLeod who does our music? Kevin McLeod does the music. the The theme song that we use is one of his called "Overworld." That's right. Where Where can we find Where can you find his stuff? Uh, in Competech.com, I think it is. If you just search uh, Kevin McLeod, um, it's spelled the you know the, the United Kingdom because I can't remember if it's Scottish or Irish. Um, it looks like McLeod. Um, or okay. if you just search in Competech, you'll find his stuff online. He's got tons of great music up there. I use some of it for battle music when we're playing D D. yeah now that i know he exists i see his music everywhere or hear it everywhere oh yeah so kevin mcleod for our music please give us a rating and review on itunes play uh if you like the show it really helps us out and we appreciate it well sean uh we've got a facebook and a twitter where you can like uh follow do various social media things and uh if you can share uh, the posts that we make about new episodes, that would be supremely helpful because we're not doing any advertising. So this is all, all word of mouth. So let, uh, let your DM friends know, let people who are interested in being DMs know. Um, we are always uh, looking for people to interview or people to ask us questions, anything and everything. Yeah. And so that's at DMs of Vancouver on Twitter. Um, DMs of Vancouver on Facebook. Uh, you can find me at Jesse the Red on Twitter. Sean, where can they find you? I am currently Hagen Plays on Twitter. I'm 
considering switching that back to just Sean Hagen. But right now, Hagen plays. All right. Anything else? We have a Patreon. Although I'm not, we haven't been doing very good with the upkeep of that. I need to get better at that. I mean, we don't have any back. This is also true, but uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully I'm going to get better at that and you'll be able to get uh, like early access to episodes, get uh, access to raw audio. Um, we're looking for ideas. If people are interested in stuff like live streams of while we record, we're still figuring that stuff out. But uh, yeah, if you want to. Yeah. If, if people want to give us ideas for episodes that they like, you, like our, our friend Joe actually recently contacted us with one, like, things you would like to hear us talk about, things you might want to come on the show and talk about if you're, you know, if you're local or someone we can set up a remote interview with. Yeah. Uh, let us know through, through Twitter or Facebook or email us uh, DMs of Vancouver at gmail.com. Yeah. We're always looking for, for people to talk to or stuff to talk about. Yeah. And uh, you know, a big thank you to all the people who've come on the show and um, yeah, a huge thank you to everybody that's come on the show so far uh, in the people that you've heard, before this episode and the couple of episodes after this and everybody that comes on in the new year, we're uh, looking forward to talking to new people and talking more about D and D. Yeah. Hey, Sean roll for initiative. <laughs>